Thank you so much, Samantha. Well, we're looking at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in uh, verse 18. And uh, I've got this head cold. My ears are plugged. And it sounds like there's something wrong with this, uh, the sound system. I hear crackling in my ear. You know? Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, isn't this a great time of the year for colds? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 7, and uh, we're going to continue our study on living an abundant life, how we can accomplish that and experience that in our life. But, uh, the Apostle Paul says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh." So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We, having the same spirit of faith, according to as is written, I believed, and therefore I have, have I spoken, we also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes." that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound uh, to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more ex exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So living an abundant life, I really believe God wants us to live a life <clears throat> that is a life of joy and happiness and excitement. That doesn't mean it's absent of problems and difficulties and trials that we have to go through. And uh, the difference is not the circumstances in life, it's the difference is the person of Christ in us, enabling us to be able to experience those things. Our lives and ministries should really be a life that demonstrates the power of God. That's why in verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We're in a body of flesh. We have earthen vessels he says, and the reason why uh, God so designed and planned it that way, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And so God designed our life to be lived based on his power, his grace, his mercy working in us. The abundant life that we experience, God gets glory for it when we realize how frail we are how weak we are, uh, how we, our abilities are de totally dependent upon the Lord's strength. And so God gets glory for that. We can live an abundant life based on the power of God. But it also, in uh, verse 18, uh, it will be a demonstration of the power of God as we're committed to eternal things. 
We don't look at the things which are seen, but we, the things that we're looking for are the things that are eternal. Why? Because the things that we see are only temporary. And so we can live an abundant life based on the fact that our life is more than just here and right now in this very moment in time. And uh, it's just interesting uh, how we have a tendency to uh, uh, not think in the realm of the eternal, but always think in the realm of the temporary. I was talking with one of our teachers today, and um, one of the students asked them uh, about uh, what I wonder what was the student. Anyway, somebody talked to him, and they said, uh, 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 if somebody was a murderer, which would be worse for them if they were execu executed uh, and uh, died or if they l stayed living and throughout the rest of their life they'd have to go to the most harshest prison uh, in the world? So which would be worse for them? Their thought and concept of the worst punishment was to stay alive and have to spend the rest of their life on this earth in a prison. The reality is that would be a blessing because as an unsaved person who is a murderer, who despises God, hates God, hates God's creation, if they were to be executed would immediately go to hell and they would be an eternity in hell. And so what short time, 20, 30, 50, 60, 80, 100 years of living your life on this earth in prison is no comparison to the suffering they would experience in hell. What's, what's, why is there the conflict of trying to rational, rationalize that experience? The problem is, are we looking in the temporary or are we looking in the eternal? And if you think the punishment in the jail would be uh, more severe, it's because you're looking in the temporary life rather than the reality of eternal life. And so as a Christian, we live in the realm of eternity. We live in the realm of things that are not seen. We do not live in the realm of things that can be seen because the very things that can be seen are limited, at best are limited. And so we enter into a realm that is expansive when we consider our life in light of eternity. And so Paul says we can live an abundant life uh, because of the fact that we are not just living for the temporary. We're living in light of eternity. And so uh, last week or last couple of weeks, we looked at this matter of abundant life, living an abundant life. And we saw that it's not a habit. I'm sorry, it's a habit, not an act. I don't know why I keep switching that around all the time. And uh, it's not a one-time event. The Christian life that is abundant is developing a life that is consistent. And that's why the second point we looked at it was a process of consistency. And uh, we just don't get on all excited for God now and then forget about God tomorrow. No, we develop a life that is ever growing and ever maturing and ever excelling in our relationship with the Lord. It's a life of faith. And so we, we live our life by faith. We don't live based on things that we can see or control or manipulate. We trust eternal God to work in our life. And then it's based on the personality of God. If we do believe that God is who he is, then we are going to make re decisions and responses in life 
based on the personality of our God. That is built upon a measurement. We talked about that. That measurement is who Christ is. Whom the Lord did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So the measurement for our life is based upon uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to continue. There's five more thoughts here about living an abundant life. And so first of all, I think if we're going to be able to look past the temporal, we're going to be able to live in light of the power of God, uh, then that means we're going to have to identify some goals that we want to accomplish in our life. So look over in Philippians chapter 3 and uh, verse uh, 14. We're going to pull some thoughts out of this chapter in Philippians uh, chapter 3 and verse 14. We see the action when we identify goals. Chapter 3 and verse 14 of Philippians, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's very, see, uh, very easy to see that the Apostle Paul had established a goal in his life. I press towards the mark of the, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So action, when we talk about identifying a goal, that means you're going to take action to get there. It answers the question, how am I going to get there or where I want to be? And uh, certainly you cannot say, well, I want to be a stronger Christian and I want to be more devoted to the Lord, but you're not willing to identify what it's going to take you to do that. Um, it, it takes effort. It takes action to accomplish the goals that we set in our lives. And I've often said that I, I'm pretty goal-oriented. I have goals that I set in my life. I remember when I first came here to the church, I had a five-year goal of things I want to accomplish as the pastor of this church in five years. And then I had a 10-year goal. And I have goals right now of what my desire is or what I want to accomplish for the Lord as a pastor and certainly as the pastor of this church. But in establishing that goal, I understand I've got the press. It's not just going to happen. You've got to do something about it. And so when we talk about living an abundant life, if you want to have a life that's free from temptation, you're going to have to do something to remove the temptations in your life. If you want a life that demonstrates the power of God, then you're going to have to increase in faith in believing God uh, to do those things, because if you don't have faith to believe, you're not going to step out to to accomplish whatever it is that God has laid on your heart. And uh, I know my wife and I, when we went to Bible college, uh, we set a goal. Our goal in Bible college was to graduate. <laughs> I mean, it's not too hard to figure out. And uh, so what did that mean? That meant that all of our energy all of our resources, everything that we had, everything we could develop was focused on one end game. The end game was getting my degree and being ordained into the ministry. Now that meant there was times we didn't have food. That meant there was times when we didn't have gas to put in the car. That meant that when it came time to go to work and, and my wife needed a car, I had to ride my bicycle to work. And everything uh, what, that we had, everything that we did, all of our energy, the press that we were facing was the action was 
to get through the school, through college, that was the number one priority in our life. And so goals, uh, God blesses that. And God fed us, God took care of us. God blessed us in so many ways that I could stand here and talk for hours just on the blessings that we received in a Bible college. And then we graduated from there. We had a goal. We were going to plant a church. We were going to start a church. Well, what did that mean? That meant all of our life, our resources, everything that we are, was funneled into accomplishing that goal. And so if you want to live an abundant life, and I'm not talking about just you know suffering and going without and all this, that, and the other. I'm going to tell you, we had, we've had the time of our life because we were accomplishing the goal that God has established in our hearts, and we understood the action that had to be uh, taken in order to be able to press towards that mark or press towards that prize. And so if you want to be able to live an abundant life for Christ, uh, then you're going to have to set some goals in your life. And you're going to have to live to strive to accomplish that so you can figure out how you're going to get where you want to be. Uh, there's also direction. Direction. He says, I press towards the mark. And so it deals with direction and uh, how we need to uh, know where God is taking us. And uh, we need to answer the question, where am I going? Uh, the biggest thing I know when I was younger and getting out of high school and then getting into the Marine Corps and then getting out of the Marine Corps and getting into trucking and all this, the biggest problem I saw with myself back then, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was going to do. I went to, I went to college for mechanical drafting. I wanted to get into engineering and things like that. And then I went into the Marine Corps, got involved with electronic communications. I got out of there, started driving tractor and trailer. But I did not know where I was going. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was launching out on all kinds of things. And it wasn't until I got saved and God changed my life and he gave me direction. He impressed on my heart that you can live a life that's better than the life that you're living. God revealed to me that, wait a minute, there was a way that I could surrender my life to him and that I'd be able to accomplish things that I never dreamed that I'd be able to accomplish. And I can testify now, looking back over my life, there's things God has given me and God has done in my life that I never would have thought of doing, but God will give us a life that is abundant if we'll just be willing to press, set the goal. You got to do something. You can't sit around and do nothing. You got to do something. And then you have to establish direction. And you have to be going in the, the direction that God wants you to go in in order to be able to fulfill that goal. And when you establish that direction, you start living an abundant life because God blesses you in the process. Then there's the destination in verse 14. It says, I press towards the mark. So he knew where he wanted to go. He pressed towards the mark. If you're doing targeting uh, practice and and I uh, used to go uh, bow and arrow hunting for deer. And before I would go, we'd always practice and 
you'd set up the target and you'd shoot that. You knew where the mark was. You knew what the target was. And in our Christian life, Paul is just saying this, you need to press towards the mark that answers the question, what is really my goal? I've got to start doing something. I need to start heading in a direction. But really, what is it? How can I define that goal in, in, in uh, clear, definable terms? How can I accomplish that? And what is it that I want to accomplish? And it'll put you on a path to accomplish a destination. And I've watched over the years, anytime that you take a step of faith, that's the action, and you step of faith in the direction that God is impressing on your heart, God will always enable you to arrive at the destination. He puts you on the target. He enables you to accomplish the goal. And so I've got to set my direction because there's a destination I want to get where I want to get. As a Christian, my destination is I want to get to heaven. Amen. I know I'm going to heaven, but my destination, I'm praying that the Lord will make it happen when I'm alive. Amen. I don't like the idea of going through a dying process, but uh, uh, my, my goal is, Lord, even so, come Lord Jesus. That's my goal. I don't know if that's the destination will let me uh, accomplish, but hallelujah, he might, amen. So I'm believing God, and I want to identify my goal. I don't ever want to lose sight of the goal. My goal is to get in the presence of God. My goal is to be able to cast crowns at his feet. My goal is to be able to glorify my Savior in heaven. So everything I want to do down here is going to be revolving around accomplishing that goal. And so when I'm doing that, the process of doing that enables me to live an abundant life. And then the vocation. Uh, he calls here, he says, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. And so the vocation, it identifies or answers the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Sometimes I feel like asking the kids in our Christian school, why, why are you doing what you're doing? I mean, really, why are you here in this Christian school? Is it because you want to grow, grow closer to God? Is it when you, because you want to get a better education? Is it that your parents don't want you out in the world? What, why, why are you doing what you do? Sometimes I feel like asking church members. Uh, you know, Jesus said in reference to John the Baptist, because there were many that went out to see John the Baptist when he was preaching, and Jesus confronted him and said, what went you out to see? You know what he's basically saying? He was just asking, why are you doing what you're doing? And if we can't identify why we're doing what we're doing, how in the world are you ever going to be able to identify a goal to live a life that's abundant and exciting? How can you be excited about a life that you don't understand what it is that you're doing? And uh, how we need to be defining that in a very clear way. I think much of Christianity is struggling with that concept uh, because church has become so uh, centered and focused on entertainment than rather than what the church really is. And as a result of it, people don't know, understand why they're going to church. They don't know why they're going to church. They don't know why they're doing what they're doing. And uh, so it's hard to be able to live abundant life 
that is a life that glorifies God because of the fact we're confused about who we are in our life. And so Paul says, I know what it is. I know what my vocation is. I'm pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in my life. And so there's the vocation. There's the uh, opposition. And uh, not only does he deal with uh, the, the fact that uh, God was directing him and leading him, but in 2 Timothy, Paul deals with the opposition to fulfilling that goal and accomplishing the task that God had revealed him. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 7, as soon as I get over there, I'll read it for you. Paul just simply says, I have fought a good fight. Now, in the process of going and accomplishing and living a life that was abundant, Paul understood that he had fought a good fight, and in the fight that he fought, he finished his course. He says, I kept a faith. So what he's saying is this. He answers the question is, why is it so difficult just in fulfilling the goals that God has impressed on my life? Why is it so difficult to live an abundant life? And it's because of the fact that we have an enemy that is constantly fighting against us. And now, um, I have one of the students today, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade, sixth grade, I don't know what grade they were in. But anyway, one of the students asked me today, students have been coming up with some good questions. I'll tell you what, they'll rattle your brain sometimes. And I had one student come over to me today and they said, uh, pastor, I said, yeah, I'm like, here we go. And uh, she was like, Pastor, um, you know, uh, so the devil was cast out of heaven, so where's the devil now? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> where is this coming from? So I told her, I said, well, Peter says he's goeth about as a roaring lion, seeing who, finding, trying to find whoever he can to devour. And Paul says he's the God of this world. When he appeared before God and accused Job, uh, God asked Satan, where have you been? He said, I've been going to and fro throughout the whole earth. I said, he's wandering on this earth right now. And I said, and he has angels, demons that followed him when he rebelled against God. And when they followed him, I said, you know where they're at? They're on this earth right now. And that's why we need to have faith in Christ. We need to surrender our life to the Lord. We need to walk with God. Why? Because when the devil tempts us and he comes after us, we can, through faith in Christ, resist the devil, and he has to flee from us. So we don't have to fear the devil. He is a defeated foe, but he is on this earth, and people try to live like he isn't. She was like, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> I thought to myself, well, now I just gave you a deep theological thought here. Let's talk about this a little bit better, you know. But most people don't know or understand why it's so difficult to live an abundant life. Why is it so difficult for me just to get ahead? Why is it I pay my bills off and I work hard and I try to pay my bills off and it just seems like more bills just keep coming in? And we look at life and we say, boy, I tell you, just is it working? Yes, it is working. Identify the goal that God has for you and live your life for the glory of God, knowing that you have to fight the fight. You have to keep the faith. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
And he can give you a life that's abundant and free and it's exciting, but it's not free from trials and difficulties. But God, through the trials and difficulties, gives us uh, great victories. Here's another one. I, I think I'm going to write a book on things that kids ask you, you know. I had a student come up to me a couple of days, a few days ago, and he said this. He said, Pastor, when we die and we go to heaven, uh, uh, everything's perfect in heaven. There's no sin in heaven. There's nothing corrupt in heaven. We won't do anything bad in heaven, right? I said, yeah, that's exactly right. He said, then how did Satan sin in heaven? Wow. <laughs> That'll make you think for a minute. Amen. So I'm like, oh, Lord, give me an answer. <laughs> I told him, I said, well, I think it's because of the fact that God wants willful worship. And God doesn't want to force anybody to worship him. And when they were in, in when heaven, when Satan was leading worship of God, now, Satan said that he was prideful and that he wanted not to worship God and exalt God. He wanted to exalt himself. And furthermore, there were thousands of angels that agreed with him, and God cast him out of heaven because of his pride. And I said, because of the fact even the angels of heaven have a will to worship God. And I said, now you apply it to us. God's not willing that any should perish, but if a man will not worship God through faith in Christ, uh, he is not going to heaven. He's going to be cast into hell. And those who do willfully follow Christ and worship Christ, they go to heaven. That shows you the grace and the mercy of God. Even towards angels, he gives every person, every creature, an opportunity to willfully worship him. And I said, so Satan was cast out. And I said, you know what happened when he was cast out? There's nothing that corrupts in heaven because everything that's in heaven worships God by choice. And I thought, and they were like, oh, okay, pastor. And he just like, well, like, that was a great theological thought. Come on, man, come back here and let's debate this for a while. <laughs> I'm telling you, our young people are thinking about God. And they're thinking about what it means to live their life for God. And the amazing thing is, oftentimes we as adults, we just live our life just kind of drifting through. And God wants to do something that's greater and more magnificent in our lives. But it's not going to happen if we're not willing to set some goals in our life to accomplish what it is the Lord wants to do. Well, there is the completion Paul not only says he had fought the fight, but good fight, but he said, I finished my course. And so you keep the faith. He said, I kept the faith. That answers the question, how did I get here? And uh, I, I want to be able to come to the end of my life and look at my life and say, well, I know how I got here. God impressed some things on my heart to do for him. He gave me the faith to be able to step out and 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 go after what it is he wanted to give, give to me. And by faith, as I lived my life for him, there was the trials and there was the problems and there were the difficulties and there were things, a multitude of things that I had to overcome. But now that my life is over, now I'm in the presence of God. Hallelujah, I know how I got here. It wasn't because of me, but it was because of Jesus Christ. It wasn't because of my abilities, it was because of my faith. 
Uh, I just was willing to trust God. I was willing to put into action the direction that God wanted me to go in. I had a destination I wanted to accomplish and I wanted to get to. In the process, he showed me how to live my life for his glory. And the opposition was strong, but bless God, I completed an abundant life for God. David Jeremiah said this, the only way the corporate body of Christ will fulfill the mission Christ has given it is for individual Christians to have a vision for fulfilling that mission personally. God has abundant life for you today. He does. God has something magnificent that he wants to do in your life tonight. But you're the one that has to make the decision to follow that. You're the one that has to make the decision. I'm going to set a goal to accomplish what it is God wants me to be. And uh, it'll be amazing, amazing uh, experience in the body of Christ if every individual got a heart that was on fire for God to complete his mission through us. Chuck Swindoll said this, when I think of vision, I have in, the, in mind the ability to see above and beyond the majority. I read that quote. I said, boy, that sums up this whole concept of identifying a goal. If I want to live an abundant life, I need a vision. Why? Because where there's no vision, the people perish. If I want to live an abundant life, that means I have to have uh, the ability to see beyond what the majority says. You know, the amazing thing is this, in my Christian life, things that God has done in my life, I've never had a majority of people saying, go for it, Mike. Man, I'll tell you what, that's what God's going to do. It'll be exciting. God can do those things. All I've heard in my life is, God can't do that. Oh, you're going to do it. What makes you think you can do that? That's all I've ever heard. When I was going out to start a church, oh, what are you going up there for? You know, New Jersey, it's hard to start a church. It's this, it's that. I even said I was going into ministry. You're going into ministry? Are you kidding me? And then the negative talks about my wife and myself. and God. I'm telling you, everything that I've ever said that God was going to do, I've had nothing but negative response to it. And having a vision from God of living an abundant life is that you can see past the majority who is saying it can't be done. Amen. I remember I went down to the Biting Creek to be the pastor down there. Uh, they didn't have any money. There only 30 people in the church. They told me, they said, well, this is what your salary be, but we want you to know we don't have the money coming in to pay your salary. And I said, well, I appreciate you being honest, but are you men of faith? That's what I want to know. I ain't worried about the money. I'm worried about your faith. And I told him, I said, will you step out by faith to commit that salary to me every week? And they said, yeah, we'll, be, we'll only do that. I said, if you're willing to do that, I'm willing to step out by faith to believe God will give me that salary every week. And that's how I went down there uh, with the church having no money to be able to pay me with faith to believe that God could pay me. And God never missed a paycheck. Their heater down in the, the furnace in the basement of that church, which was basically a dugout hole. That church was built in 1903. Right in the middle of the sanctuary underneath of the church where they had dug and they, they had actually cut down a tree that was about that big around. 
and the stump was still underneath the sanctuary. They never dug the thing up, never got it out of there. The furnace they had was a old coal-burning furnace that had asbestos wrapped all around it to try to cover up the gaps between the heating grills on the furnace. The asbestos was all falling off. And you could see the flame through the side of the furnace. And I told him, I said, are you people nuts? You know how gracious I am and how uh, well, politically correct I am and how I respond to things. I said, are you people nuts? This place is going to burn down. They said, we don't have any money. We don't have any money to uh, put a furnace in. And I told him, this was in the wintertime, and I told him, I said, uh, you know what? I said, we're going to call up a contractor right now. And we're going to sign a contract that by September of this new year, we're putting a new furnace in there. And they said, well, how are we going to do that? We don't have that kind of money coming in. We don't have people coming in. And I told them, I said, this is not glorifying God. You are endangering the children that come in this church. And we need to believe God that he can pay for his church to heat it up. Amen. And so that's what we did. We contracted a oil company that puts furnaces in and everything for the following September to put a new furnace in that place. It was going to cost $18,000. That was a lot of money to a little church in the middle of nowhere with only 30 people in it. And it's a lot of money to us, amen. <laughs> and we contracted, I'm going to tell you what, when that person, the contractor came and put that furnace in, we had $18,000 cash to pay them. And uh, they never missed a paycheck. They never missed uh, our missionary support. They never missed anything. Why? Because God paid for it. And I'm going to tell you, there was opposition, and people were against it. People didn't think it could happen. But I'm going to tell you, it changed the temperament of the church when they saw what God can do if we could live an abundant life. There's always opposition. There's always questioning. But hallelujah, if you have a vision from God, you can be, got, be able to go a lot, way beyond what the majority thinks. Dr. Malone used to say the majority is generally wrong. And they are. You and God make a majority. So don't depend on the majority that's against whatever it is you're doing. God wants to do something miraculous in your life. So number one, identify the goal. What do you feel God wants you to do and accomplish? And then go for it. Amen? Do it. Uh, number two, uh, it, abundant life establishes priorities in our life. In Matthew chapter uh, 6 and verse 33, it's a familiar verse, but we'll turn over there and look at it. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I love that because notice he uh, requires personal accountability. He says, seek ye first. And so he's telling us directly that you are responsible and, uh, for going after the kingdom of God. You say, I want to have an abundant life. I want to have a strong family. Uh, well, wonderful. You want a strong family in the Lord, then that means you have to go after God. Uh, you say, I want my children to live for God. That means you as a parent need to live for God. 
You just seek after the kingdom of God. You have to establish some priorities in your life. You, can, you cannot allow the events of life in the secular world to dominate the decisions that you make in the spiritual realm. And this is a great failure uh, uh, in present-day Christianity is that the church and our commitment to God seems like it's always second choice. It's always second choice. Well, I have this going on. Uh, well, wait a minute. Is, is this secular event over here going to help your children to grow in faith? Well, if it's not going to help them grow in faith, why would you choose that? over the event that's going on in the church or whether it's a church service or whatever it may be. Why would you choose that? And so you have to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You have to establish a priority. It's a personal accountability. And I was talking with the evangelist Sunday, Monday. We went out to eat lunch together. And he told me, he said, you know, what, he said, what grieves you in the church today, in the trends in the church today? What grieves you? He said, you're an older guy. You got saved back in the 70s and went through the 80s. He said, what grieves you? And I told him, I said, what grieves me is that, and I don't like looking to the past, but the reality is in the past, in the 70s and 80s, when people got saved, they immediately were plugged in the church. When they got saved, they came to church, they came to Sunday school, they came Sunday night, they came Wednesday night, they were out on visitation on Thursday night. Uh, you didn't have to plead with people, didn't have to tell people they had to be there. People just came. And it, it changed our lives drastically. I mean, drastically. And I was talking to my wife about it. I said, I thought it was an interesting question he asked me. And because he's saying, you know, I'm a millennial guy and I'm trying to figure out the church and what we're supposed to be doing now. And I just like to know the two different perspectives. And I was talking to my wife about it. And she said this. She said, the other thing was there was no discipleship programs back then. We didn't, we didn't do any discipleship. We didn't do any one-on-one -on -one Bible studies. We, we just went to church and went to Sunday school. And because of being in church and being in Sunday school and being involved with visitation and bless God, if there was a dinner at the church, there was an activity going on in the church, everything else was put to the side and we were at that activity. There was no discipleship, but we grew in leaps and bounds in our faith. It was an amazing thing that took place. And so what was the difference? He asked me, well, what do you think the difference is? And I said, I think the difference is the priorities that are established. Because what's important to you? Because whatever is mostly important to you is the thing that will come to the top of the list. And so if we want to be able to live an abundant life, there is personal accountability. In other words, you're not going to become abundant and excited in your Christian life because of me. Not at all. 
I can't live your life for you, nor can you live your life, my life for, for me. We're not surrogates of spirituality. We are individuals who are responsible to make a decision of how we commit ourselves to Christ. You say, well, why would we have to do that? Because you want to live an abundant life. I don't want to miss out. Listen, I don't want to miss out on one thing that God may have for me. Not one. And, uh, you know, the Christian school is a lot of work. And uh, sometimes I think, well, I understand why pre preachers say I would never wish, wish on my worst enemy the thought of them starting a Christian school. I, I can understand that after having a Christian school for the last 16 years. Uh, but I'm going to tell you one thing right now. All the difficulty, all the money, all the problems, all everything you got to deal with, I would not trade that for one conversation that I have with one of those little kids. Because I take it, I look at that, and I say, man, what a life God has given me. What a life God has given me that these little children come up and say, Pastor, what about the devil? And I can sit down and talk to them about Jesus Christ and about how they can have faith and how they can have power and how they can have a life that's abundant. You know, how, how does it all come about? It comes about because you have to establish a priority. And your children, your grandchildren need to see that God is at the top of the list in your life. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more powerful than to see your children and grandchildren get saved, fall in love with the Lord, surrender a life for God, and live. You talk about abundant life? Man, I'll tell you, that's an abundant life. And I didn't think about it. Um, I was talking with the evangelist, and he was saying, uh, well, well, I saw some of your teachers, and he was saying about Nick being here for, you know, youth pastor and this, that, and the other. He said, man, you got quite a few people that have gone out from your church, and some of them being back there. He said, you realize what a blessing that is? And then I started thinking about how many people we have from our church that are out in ministry. And how many people from our church that have gone out in ministry and have come back and ministered here and have grown in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and have gone out and, and worked in great ministries. I'm telling you, you talk about an abundant life. That's an abundant life. And I think oftentimes we miss the reality of it because we're not willing to set priorities. Well, we'll continue it. Our two-part message will be part four next week. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord.